Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Feckin' Metal. I am your host, Fergal Trainer. As mentioned at the end of my last episode, episode 45, where I spoke to Wayne Jackson, this is a no-frills, non-edited, full episode of an interview that I conducted with Joe Sigler for my Black Sabbath arc, Arc Sabbath, and this was on the 16th of March, 2021. So, I'm going to go pretty much straight into it. As I said, you're just going to hear the entire interview I did with Joe. Many of you who have been listening along to the Black Sabbath arc will have heard lots of these comments before, but there's also plenty of material in here that you won't have heard as well that I never got to use in the episodes. So, from the 16th of March, 2021, this is my interview with Joe Sigler, the curator, creator, and moderator, that wasn't even intentional there, of the Black Sabbath fan website black-sabbath.com all right so thanks for joining me it's not a formal podcast i'm going to edit your comments into um some episodes that i'm going to do in a, in a bit in a series so i'm not going to do like a formal introduction and that type of stuff but thank you for joining i, I very much appreciate it um i see you're wearing your, your black sabbath volume 4 t-shirt there yes i mean i i kind of figured i would do that it, it seemed like when I was looking for a shirt this morning, oh, well, I'm doing this thing, so I might as well put on the volume four <laughs> shirt. All right. So, uh, look, for people who aren't familiar with you, you, you have the, the website black-sabbath.com. It's a fan site set up in 95, I think, and you've been doing it for, that would make about 26 years now. So what was it about Black Sabbath that made you want to start your own fan site slash fan community? Well, back then I was working for a video game company um apogee software also known as 3d realms we did duke nukem as our most popular game yes i was a fan of that back in the day no i i was the original voice of that character but that's a whole separate podcast we could do oh duke um, nukem not the one that you know the one that you mostly know is is john st john and he's a good friend it's time to kick ass and chew bubblegum yeah yeah no i i didn't do any of that (laughs) in in duke nukem in Duke Nukem 2, he said just two words, and that was me, because I was friends with Todd Replogel, the guy that did the first three Duke Nukem games, and he just asked me to do it, so I did that. It was a goof, and but I'm not a, I'm not pro voice talent. Once we moved into a, a area where we were going to have real voice work, it was not something I could do, so that's where John St. John came from, but I still get to say I was the original. So that's my big thing there. Right. So this this is the side-scrolling Duke Nukem, the one before it was 3D, basically. Correct. Ah, it, yes. it, if, you, if you go look at the opening titles for that game, not, not the first one. The first one didn't have anything like that. But the second one, which was still a side-scroller, um, in the opening titles, there's an animation where he says two words, and those two words were me. So, oh. I mean, it, it's... It's, it's only two words. It's like, I'm back. That's all I said. But All right. <laughs> okay. I'll have to go and look at that. Look that up. Um, all right. So, you, sorry, I, I've sidetracked you there. You were talking about why you yeah, set up yeah, a black yeah. side. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reason why, because at that point, the company I was working for, we were just starting our first website. And that came online like a couple of weeks before my Sabbath thing did. And I thought, well, I'm doing this for my, my company. I'll just do something for Black Sabbath. And... It just kind of grew out of that. And I looked around at the time, and now this was 1995. So this is the wild west of the, the web. And you could just go get domains like Black Sabbath or Deep Purple or Iron Maiden or Led Zeppelin, or and nobody would have them. Of because the, 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 there were no 
legal corporate, you know, banned entities back then. Well, I can, there were some, but there were very few. In fact, that's why my site has a hyphen is because um, Black Sabbath without the hyphen was taken. It was not owned by Sharon, which is who owns it now. But back then it was just another, it was just another fan. Um, and I looked around and Deep Purple was operating with Deep hyphen Purple. Back then it was a site called Rose's Cantina, which was the quote official Deep Purple presence. And I thought, well, if it's good enough for Deep Purple, it's good enough for me. So I added the hyphen. Um, why did I want to do it? Because back then what passed for presences online was pretty minimal and next to nothing. And I thought, well, I can do better than every single one of these people. So that's why I did it because everything else out there was crap, I thought. Okay, so there were some Black Sabbath fan websites or presences online before. Yeah, but, but you got to remember in 95, a website was no more than, you know, two or three pages with maybe one or two pictures. Yeah. It's a whole different, it's a whole different world than what it is now. Sure. Uh, okay, so you obviously love Black Sabbath the band, though. So you were saying, you know, their, their web presence wasn't great, but there must have been the, the love of the music must have been a huge part of it as well. So maybe I know you got into Black Sabbath around heaven and hell, but maybe just for the listeners, you could give a bit of background of your background with Black Sabbath. Where I came into the band was back in 1981. I was listening to ACDC was probably the first hard rock heavy metal album I bought back in black was the first one um and I didn't know any black sabbath at that point um and I was flipping through well you're not from the state so you may not remember this but um those magazines back then hit parader and cream and whatnot I'm aware of and that, yeah. uh, you I mean there's also Kerrang but that wasn't in the United States but um Kerrang's still around the old ones aren't but anyway um I was flipping through the ads as you do. And there was a picture of the cover art for mob rules, which was at the time a brand new album. And I was like, what? Of course, you know what that cover looks like. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, what the hell kind of music goes with art like this? <laughs> Sorry. It was mob rules, not heaven and hell. Yeah. I knew it was around that time you got into them, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It was mob rules. And I'm thinking what kind of music goes with this cover art, you know, with the, with the, the mob rules cover art so yeah. i went down i went down to the store and i bought mob rules completely blind i had no idea what i was getting myself into and the first thing i heard was that opening riff that turn up the night and i was like oh crap i've never heard anything like this before and i was instantly hooked and by the um by the uh by the end of the week I ended up wanting to buy another one. So I went again randomly to the store and bought again randomly paranoid. I had no idea about it. And I put it on. I'm like, okay, this sounds cool. Sounds a little different. Wait a minute. That's not Ronnie James to you. Who the hell is this guy? <laughs> so and at that time, I didn't know they had another singer than Dio. That, that was the only, because back then you didn't have the web where you can go instantly call up their discography and find out everything. Yeah. You, you mean, if you want to look up stuff like that, you have to go to the library, the actual library. Mm. And it's not something that you do unless you really, really wanted to do it. So the fact they had a different singer was a surprise to me. By the end of the week, I had bought everything else. That's how I first got into it was through the cover art 
for the Mob Rules album. Okay, and is this vinyl records you're talking about or cassettes? I saw you posting up a bit of cassettes on your on your web uh, on your Twitter page there recently. Uh, but are you buying vinyl yeah. albums at this point? Um, at that point, it was kind of a mix. Um, I did have some vinyl. It was mostly cassettes though, because this was also when I first got my Walkman. So you know, you got your Walkman in your big boom box that you would put on your shoulder <laughs> walking down the street, kind of thing. Um, uh, it was a it was a mix. I had both because the Born Again album. I absolutely remember buying on vinyl. Mm. Mob Rules. I bought on a cassette tape. Why cassette versus vinyl? I can't tell you now. Forty years later. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was. God, and, and I still have that cassette tape all these years later. And it's it's been cracked. I had to do surgery and move the cassette tape into another shell i sacrificed some random radio shack shell to keep the cassette i still so yeah i mean back then you, you i mean god and then you now nah, i'm gonna get sidetracked you'll, you'll find out talking to me that i can sidetrack myself really that's easy. fine now go so, ahead I, I like the the sidetracks <laughs> well no i was gonna start talking about cds and and long boxes and stuff oh. that, that isn't around anymore no worries. Right. Long boxes, I, I, I've heard of these as well. So you've got your CD, but it's in a much bigger kind of box, like a book. Yeah, mostly. yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, a, a couple of the albums on my site's discography have some pictures of that. I know the Dio, I have a picture of the Dio album, Lock Up the Wolves in a Long Box. I used to I used to get them all the time. And back then, you didn't think anything of it. So you just threw the shit out. And it's like, damn it. I wish I still had that stuff. <laughs> I know, yeah. I, I, I actually thank, uh, well, not God, but I thank something that I kept all my CDs over the years because there were various points where I was like, I'm not listening to these anymore. I, I could really get rid of them or I could sell them or I could do something with them. But uh, I found lately that I've kind of, I've enjoyed the ability to, to be able to open up a booklet and, and look at an album booklet and, and a CD. And like the physical thing is still, it still has a, a certain power to it like that uh, you don't get with Spotify and things like that. Well, yeah, I can certainly get that because, um, as you pointed out, I've been posting about vinyl on my Twitter feed. Yeah. And um, when the lo when lockdown started about a year ago, I decided to buy my buy a record player. I hadn't owned a record player since about 1985 or so is when I think I stopped dealing with that. Yeah. Um, and I still had a handful left, and I've collected a bunch over the past year. And it's like, yeah, I do like the vinyl. I, I, I missed the looking at art thing. And, and and I know the format never technically went away, but it was pretty much a not a big thing. Yeah, it was well it was dormant, certainly for the nineteen nineties anyway, except for some bands. Um, all right, so you've you've got into Black Sabbath, you it's the eighties, um, you're listening to Ronnie James Dio first, then you get into Ozzy and uh, like so you bought all the albums you said basically in the space of the first week. did you have a certain preference? Um, was there back then like Ozzy was the former singer was was there a snobbery around Ronnie James Dio being the new singer or what was it like back then as a fan of Black Sabbath well I can't speak to the larger fan experience because I didn't know a whole lot of friends that were into that so it was one of those things I enjoyed in my solace okay. um so I mean you, you read magazines and you see stuff and you hear about this and whatnot but Personally, 
Dio was my first. So despite there at that point, there was two albums with Dio and eight with, with Ozzy. And there were no other singers in the equation at that point. It was just Ozzy versus Dio. And I preferred Dio because he was my first. Right. But, but as I always tell people, that doesn't mean the other stuff sucks because that's the, it, it's almost a death question when you say, who do you prefer? It's yeah. like, okay, I prefer, I prefer X, but it doesn't mean Y sucks or is unworthy. You know, it's like, I, I, I do that. I, <laughs> I just posted it again the other day, but about a year ago, I, I managed to come up with a top 20 all time Black Sabbath list. I managed to whittle down the entire catalog into 20 songs. Right. And, and of course, the biggest insult I get from people is, A, why do you have non-Aussie stuff on there? Um, <laughs> and B, it's like, what about song X that is their preference? I'm like, well, I didn't say it sucked. It's just not my top 20. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I see that a lot. But looks like listicles or online articles with lists are so popular nowadays. Do you know what I always find yeah. a, a, a similar type of thing as well? It's when bands announce tour dates and there's somebody who's like, what do you mean? There's no Texas date? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, I mean, they can't do everything. <laughs> like, they can't do every single thing. Well, I, I, the, the other thing about that is just like, it's not, usually the band's choice the band doesn't set that up you know it's like it's all promoters and and of course with sabbath the promoters also sharon but you know yes all right so um so it's like in the 1980s then uh mob rules and and heaven and hell are out but then black sabbath gets a new singer ian gillen how do you remember reacting to that at the time when born again came out because it seemed like a strange match retrospectively well i was not terribly into deep purple at the time obviously i was aware of them um but they weren't like a major musical thing to me so the fact that they got deep purple singer to sing didn't do much for me personally i like oh okay they're changing again that that was my only memory that i remember of it back then um i didn't have uh, any i actually didn't have any weirdness about it personally because i didn't see it as anything more than just another singer um would i prefer them to stay with the oh yeah i love the mob rules album it was great but okay they're not doing it and then i started reading on what was coming and i saw all the stories about you know oh it's deep purple and you know the press before it came out was calling it purple sabbath or you know or no yeah deep sabbath and stuff like that and I mean, of course, they got the award back. So I was like, okay, you got three out of the four. That, that's more than enough to pass the authenticity threshold. So I'm like, I, my overriding memory before the album came out was, okay, let's see what this is like. Um, I didn't have hatred. In fact, that was the first live Black Sabbath show I saw. I wanted to see the Mob Rules tour, but they had, I was living in Philadelphia at the time. Mm-hmm. I had just they had just come through Philly after I bought the album. So I couldn't go see it. I was only 16 at the time. So I wasn't about to go traveling. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I went and saw them on the born again tour and I was like, this is great. I loved it. I freaking loved the born again album. I loved it. I, that, that quote that you hear Ian Gillen use all the time. He goes, I was the worst singer Black Sabbath ever had. I didn't wear the same leathers. And yeah, I mean, it's a pretty well-repeated thing by him. But yes. I didn't agree with that at all. In fact, I, I've, I've issued this 
hot take on other appearances I've made and on Twitter, and I get an enormous amount of crap over it, which is, in my opinion, Ian Gillen does the best live version of the song Black Sabbath than any other Black Sabbath vocalist. Yeah, I saw you mentioned this, and I went and listened to that just because you said it. Uh, it was part of the bonus tracks of the reissue of um, Born Again a few years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually find, found it quite good, but I, I think that song belongs to Ozzy, though, personally, now, just my own personal opinion. But. The, the studio version? Well, of course, there's only one studio version, but I, I go by, because if you go to all of them, you go Ozzy, Dio, Ian Gillen, Glenn Hughes, Ray Gillen, Tony Martin, even Rob Halford, who has live appearances with Black Sabbath. It does. It does. I, I I enjoy the 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 uh, I almost going to say Ray Gillen, Ian Gillen version better because of that shrieking and the laughing. It, it fits the mood of the song better to me. Okay, um, so to, like I know for a fact, like just because I've read and listen to you on different things uh, that you are a stickler for detail and you obviously document the lineups of Black Sabbath to the nth degree you mentioned there obviously Rob Halford was technically in Black Sabbath before as well um, but as a fan in the 80s was there any period where you felt like the band wasn't really Black Sabbath anymore or did you not concern yourself with that type of thought process because a lot of fans get caught up in that well the eternal idol period is, is the, the most confusing there because if you go through all the periods of that it's every lineup every position except guitar has had at least two people will go through there um and in fact the final published version of the eternal idol album has every position every lineup and well not keyboards but bass guitar vocals wait a minute no bass drums vocals they all have two people at those positions on the studio album even if they're not really on there but um it's just god it's did i ever consider it not black sabbath no because i was always black black sabbath it's up to black sabbath to define what is black sabbath not us that doesn't mean i have to like it it doesn't mean you have to like it but you don't I mean, not you personally, but yes. you in general. Um, you don't get to decide what Black Sabbath is. Black Sabbath decides that. You don't have to like it. But no, I never felt it wasn't. Having said that, I get why people do, because it was an inordinate amount of turnover in the mid-80s, in Eternal Idol in particular. Sure. Okay. Um, so about that point then, there was a lot of turnover uh, the original Black Sabbath was long gone, although they did do Live Aid in 85. But around that time, Tony Iommi bought the rights to the name Black Sabbath. Um, now, I was chatting to you uh, on Twitter, mess- instant messaging on Twitter. And I, I mentioned that in Mick Wall's book that he mentions that uh, in 97, Sharon Osbourne bought the rights of Black Sabbath from Tony Iommi. Now, you have said yourself that this does not add up based on your own knowledge. Could you elaborate on that a bit? <laughs> <laughs> can you can you elaborate on that? Okay, basically that didn't happen. Um, uh, the the setup for it regarding money and whatnot had to do with child support and all that. And and um, oh, cat! My cat is here. He's screaming. Nice. Um, yeah, um, yeah. That did not happen. 
Um, she, basically, the, 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 the comment in the book was that she gained control of the name Black Sabbath over a $75,000 loan or something like that. Yeah. I, I have, so I looked into that without going into the detail of my research, which would probably get me in trouble. Um, that, that did not happen that way. First off, ownership of the control of the name Black Sabbath would not pass for just a mere $75,000. Yeah, I thought it was very, quite a small sum as well. And I did look into it. That basically didn't happen. I mean, the issue, the money was a thing, but ownership of the band name, no. And do you have any inclination as to why somebody like Mick Wall, who's written a lot of books, would write something like that? Uh, do, you, do you believe he was told a lie or what? I don't know Mick Wall. And to be honest, I haven't read the book myself. Once you made that comment to me on Twitter, I asked a friend who did have the book to send me a picture or two of the relevant pages. So I did read that individual section, hmm. but I didn't read that book in general. And as I don't know Mick, I would rather not answer why do you think mick would say that um there could be any number of reasons because i mean myself as i say this i mean you you mentioned my timeline page earlier and i have issues that way that didn't come out right i have on the beginning of the page so i you know, i don't remember it's somewhere on the page i don't remember where on the page not really relevant but it, mm -hmm. i basically tell people this is my research story of the band, but at no point do I ever claim for it to be the gospel truth. Having said that, I know a lot, I've seen a lot, I've done a lot. Um, but if, if, if something's found out to be wrong, I want to fix it. Right. So the things that I declare uh, just say, for example, on any particular part, just random, you know, line up 32, just pulling random numbers. Um, if it's found out to be wrong, then I want to know from somebody involved with line, line up 32, what did I do wrong and why did I get it wrong? So on the rare chance that something I've written needs to be adjusted, the why do I have it the way I did and it was wrong or needing adjusted is the same kind of I can you pause for one second sure. I just got paged by my wife Hang on, no worries, I'll come go back ahead. sorry about that worries post postal issues uh they delivered a wrong package to our door no worries okay uh, and um, it's a giant it's a giant box almost as tall as I am <laughs> okay very good interesting to see what's in it although you'll never know probably um all right so you were talking about yes so if you have like your facts on your website but you don't ever state that that's the absolute truth and you're open to correction basically that's what you were saying yeah yeah that, that's my point that's why i don't want the reason i went down this path is i don't want to answer the question of why did mick wall write that if it didn't happen because i don't know what access what information he had that led him to write that. Sure. So I, I don't feel because I a, don't know him, B, haven't read the whole book, and C, don't know what would have led him to say that. I don't think it's fair for me to answer why did Mick write that if it didn't happen. Fair enough. That's fine. Uh, I'm surprised to learn then that he wasn't in contact with you to write the book because he does thank your website at the end of the book. Uh, he mentions it. Um, so he, you had no contact from Mick when he was researching that book, obviously, I'm guessing, no. 
Not that I can remember, no. It's interesting to me as well because he does his own podcast, um, Get Your Rocks Off, it's called. And uh, he, he did an episode recently where he's talking about Black Sabbath and he doesn't seem to remember a lot of the details about the band, yet he wrote about it extensively in the book. So to me, he must have been referencing some source of information, but I'm surprised to learn that it wasn't your website or, or he wasn't from speaking to you because I don't know what else he would have used um, to get all that info. Your place is, your website is the best place to go for that type of stuff. Well, thank you, but <laughs> I'm not the only place out there. So yeah, no, I know. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's anyway, I, I just assumed he, he probably would have contacted you. But anyway, that's fair enough. Um, okay, so uh, you also mentioned um, that, uh, it, so Black Sabbath did uh, the album with uh, Tony Martin, The Eternal Idol. We talked about that. Next in line was another album with Tony Martin. They did Headless Cross. Things seemed to be stable there for a while. Uh, and I've heard you mention previously that Tony Martin actually, uh, so, so sorry, so sorry. At that point, then they got back together with Ronnie James Dio, um, back around nineteen ninety, and they ended up doing an album. Uh, do you do you recall what? Uh, or sorry, nineteen ninety two. Apologies. Do you recall what had to happen for for Black Sabbath to get back with Ronnie James Dio in the early nineties? Because he was doing his own thing with Lock Up the Wolves in nineteen ninety, and seemed like the Dio band was kind of a uh, uh, was going to stay around. But then all of a sudden, Black Sabbath are together again with Ronnie James Dio in nineteen ninety two. Do you remember what the, happened there to get the band back together? Well, at the end of the the end of the tier tour, um, I've seen reports that it was cut short early due to ticket sales or whatnot. But I, I I'm not sure about that one. Um, I do know the tier tour never came to the United States. Uh, why I don't know. But um, at that point, Geezer had decided he was going to get back together with Tony and Black Sabbath. So that led to the departure of Neil Murray. Um, somewhere around there is a relatively famous story of Geezer going to see a Dio gig in Minneapolis um, and Ronnie has told the story that Geezer famously forgot to bring his bass with him but um, so he didn't have to get up and play but they had some meeting after the show and you know Tony, or excuse me, Geezer had told Ronnie that he was getting back together with Tony, not intending on putting that lineup back together again, but they was just, you know, visit an old friend because I believe the story goes they hadn't been, been they haven't met face to face in like 10 years at that point. So it was just kind of a see an old friend thing. But then they decided, hey, you know, let's let's call Tony. And, you know, they decided to put it back together again. So they got now at that point, it was still Cozy Powell yeah. because he was he was the incumbent drummer. Um, and that's the one, one combination in the history of the band that I'm bummed out. We never got on an actual album. There, there's some demos out there with that, but the, the rhythm section of Butler and Powell, I would have loved to have heard that on an album. Um, there's demos and whatnot, and I'm sure they have stuff in their archives, but as you well know, uh, hashtag slapback. They're <laughs> releasing the releasing um, demo stuff is not really their thing. So no. I don't think we'll 
I don't think we'll ever see it. Yes. Uh, so this is interesting. So let's just mention that there. So there's been two songs released recently from the, ne- the Jeff Nichols archive. One is a version of Heaven and Hell, a demo version, slightly different to the studio album version. And the other one was a song called Slapback, which to me doesn't sound really like Black Sabbath at all. But it turns out it is because Geezer Butler's commented on it. So uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Like, Do you, do you have any thoughts on, on the songs or the fact they were released or Tony Iommi's comments that he was not happy at all about them being released? Well, as a fan, and I, I think I think you if you followed me for a time, you should remember um, I posted about my, that meeting I had with Tony Iommi in twenty thirteen. Yeah, was, you remember that? I remember you talking about it, and uh, he he told you that you don't know everything. That type of thing. <laughs> Is that the meeting? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, the reason I bring that up was um, in that meeting. One of the things I talked to him about was demos um and i said now to my knowledge the only unreleased demo that they agreed to ever release was the tony mark excuse me the ray gillen version of eternal idol yeah officially officially um oh wait a minute there was the demo from born again the the fallen made it on the deluxe edition Mm -hmm. but but i'm convinced we would have never seen that had it not already been out there as a bootleg. Okay. It was all, it was already in circulation. Yeah. Um, and I think but anyway, the Ray Gillen one was out there as sixth star or something like that, wasn't it? It was, it was called eighth star. Eighth star. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, I, I told him about demos to his face. And I said, look, I know this isn't your thing. I know you're not fond of it. You view them as lesser material, but I guarantee you, Fans will eat this shit up. I said, the fans want to see the unreleased version. They want to see, you know, the tracks you didn't use. I mean, like the two that I I am really surprised that 20, it it was 20, almost 30 years now, there were those videos put out, the Black Sabbath story, volume one and two. Mm. Um, And volume one had short samples of the rebel and a song for Jim, which were 1969 demos they did. Mm. Um, but they will not release them in full. They just won't because they view them as inferior pieces of music. And I told Tony, you may think that being on them, but as fans, it's, it's a list of stuff that you so desperately want to hear. And I told them my holy grail. I said, the, the Oz the Oz demo from heaven and hell, mm. the Tony Martin version of dehumanizer, the, um, the, what was the other ones? Um, uh, the, the studio work you did with, uh, Dave Walker in 1978. Um, I mean, we know most of that got re-recorded with Oz, but there are versions with Dave Walker. So I want to hear that. And I said, that's the stuff we want to hear. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he took the feedback in, but obviously I never thought it would have any difference, but I still wanted to express the opinion that fans want to see that. So swinging back to Slotback, um, Jeff Nichols was there from 1979 through 2004. I'm, I'm a little unclear when his actual departure happened. It could have been somewhere between the last tour and there. But um, so he was there for every studio album between Heaven and Hell and Forbidden. Yeah. Um, so he, in his archives, he's going to have 
an enormous amount of material that that could be plowed through for stuff like this. I've always thought this, you know, because the 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 born again demos where where the fallen came from came from one of Bill Ward's ex wives. The Cozy Powell demos, there, there's an instrumental version of the Forbidden album, and there's a multi-CD thing from Dehumanizer, um, which has Cozy Powell on it. Those came from Cozy Powell's girlfriend at the time he died. They just sold off his stuff. So the fact that these things leak out in ways like that doesn't surprise me that it happened again with Jeff Nichols. Um, Nichols has a much wider material bound material that, that can be mined from that for that um but then that brings up the issue of legality and whatnot it's like he may technically own the physical tape um but the material on the tape he doesn't own i mean it, it's it's a bit of a gray area because it's coming from called by the name of gary sorry i forget his last name but he's jeff nichols stepson and the executor of his estate so because there's an estate issue in play that that could change the legality somewhat i i'm on i'm no lawyer so i can't speak to that so as a fan hell yeah i want to hear every damn thing he has i want to hear every i want to hear 30 different demo versions from you know (laughs) from seven star and i want to hear i want to hear all of that but on the flip side i get where the artists come from that they don't want it out there because they feel it misrepresents their talent um so which which is the, the main thrust behind Iomi's being irritated about it. Now I've not talked to him personally, so I can't speak for Iomi's headspace. I can speak what I see in interviews, um, which is not thrilled. <laughs> and then when you you actually spoke to him about this, did he respond in any way? Did he give you any indication about how he felt, or did he just kind of nod and <laughs> he just kind of took it he just kind of took it on board and moved on. He didn't really dig into the response to that. Okay. Uh, so to me, the most fascinating one there is the Tony Martin version of Dehumanizer. Um, now, I think I had heard that a while ago, but I'd forgotten about it. And I heard it again when I listened to you on the Deep Purple podcast. Um, so okay. you, you said Dio was in, they recorded the album, then Dio was out, and Tony Martin came in like to save the day. Again. again. So again. Why, <laughs> why, why did Dio leave that time in 92 or 91? I, I've never found that out. I've never found out why, and it, it's well known I have connections with the with the band. I mean, I, I work for Geezer Butler, I work for Bill Ward, I've done stuff, you know, with Tony. Um, so I have the ability to contact them, but I've learned over the years what kind of questions they will answer, what kind of ones they won't, and what kind of ones piss them off. Okay. So in my in my opinion, me digging into why did Dio leave during the making of Dehumanizer would be a question that would not be answered. So I don't, I don't see, I don't see there being any worth for me asking them that. And if I push them, I've also learned if I repeat questions that are ignored, that definitely pisses them off. I I understand. Yeah. And I, I mean, I suppose like it's, it is understandable if you're to place yourself in their shoes, these are still interpersonal relationships with people who they, yeah, at one point considered friends so i don't know i wouldn't want to be giving away all the details of my personal life either um but to finish that up the bottom line is this this is how i view this as a fan i want to see it i want to know it but in the end and this is what a lot of fans don't grasp in the end it's none of our damn business of course it, it's not 
it's not up to them to tell us why Dio left or Bill Ward quit or, you know, Rob Halford did this or, or why, you know, Vinny Apice was brought as a backup to Bill Ward in 99. I mean, I mean, all of these interpersonal relationship things are none of our business. So what you're, what, not again, not you personally, but what you're asking is an interpersonal question. So it's like, I don't have an answer to that. And they're unlikely to tell me. Yeah. I, I wish I knew, but oh, actually the funny thing is, um, now I don't know whether he was messing with me because I have multiple pieces of proof that Tony Omi likes to play practical jokes on people. But when mm -hmm. I mentioned that the Tony Martin dehumanizer, his immediate response was what? Right. What? <laughs> um, and, I, and I said, okay, follow me. Here's the logic. I said, you, you brought Dio back. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, Cozy had the horse accident, had to leave. Yeah. You brought Vinny back. Yeah. You recorded Dehumanizer, or at least most of it. Yeah. And then Dio quit. And you got Tony Martin back. Yeah. That's what I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so he agrees to this. So what what's the original source of this information? Is it Tony Iommi or who who originally let out was, or know, was it Tony Martin? This is one of those stories that's been out there so long I can't remember where it's sourced from. Okay. It probably was a magazine interview somewhere that everybody's just repeated over and over and over again. But yeah. right now talking to you in 2021, I can't remember what the original source of Dio quit during the making of Dehumanizer was. No worries at all. Okay, so um, the, the Dio thing brings up another interesting point I wanted to discuss. So to, to me, following as a fan, like so I've been listening to Black Sabbath maybe for about, um, I'd say, 19 years now, I'd say, since about 2002. And um, I uh, noticed like that when Dio's in the band, or he was in Heaven and Hell, they speak so positively about him. And they kind of almost, not dismiss, but they slightly discount Ozzy's contribution. Then when Ozzy's back in the band, they play up his contribution and they talk about it as if it's the best thing that's ever happened. And I've just noticed this over the years looking back through older interviews. So like, do you have any particular thoughts on that? It seems like Tony Iommi changes his allegiances based on who's currently the singer of his band. And he talks that person up and he kind of dismisses or diminishes the contributions of other people. For example, when Dio came back and they, they formed Heaven and Hell, he was like, well, we kind of got tired of playing all of the Iron Man and Paranoid and all that type of stuff. And like, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, which part of that? Just yeah, that, actually, like, about the, the allegiances of, like, um, like they just flip between Dio and Ozzy so much. That, and, like, I, I found that the band members' allegiances kind of changed depending on who was singing in the band at the time. Uh, is that something you would notice or do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I've actually never thought about that before ever. So okay. <laughs> I've never thought about, I mean, the only thing I can think of is I remember there's the, there was that thing when they were doing the forbidden out or no, 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 no. They were doing the cross purposes album because if you remember the timeline, Dio quit, at the end of the Dehumanizer tour because he didn't feel Black Sabbath should have to open for their own former lead singer. Yes. Um, so he quit at the end of the Dehumanizer tour. They were supposed to get Tony Martin in, but there was some issue with, with work visas or something. He couldn't legally come into the country. Those, those Costa Mesa 92 shows were supposed to be Tony Martin, but they got Rob Halford because they couldn't get Tony Martin due to a weird visa issue. Mm. Um, 
So shortly after that, if you remember, after the Costa Mesa shows, there was some talk that they were going to put Mach 1 back together again. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be a permanent going forward thing. Um, there was talk back and forth and lawyers and managers and blah, you know how that shit goes. It takes mm-hmm. forever. Um, while that was going on, the story goes that Iomi got the thinking that this isn't going to work out. Let's start working on an album. So they got Tony Martin in and Bobby Rondinelli on the side and started working on material while they were still talking with Ozzy about a permanent reunion. Um, So maybe the story does speak to your allegiance thing, but not in the way you, you intended because they, they're like, all right, we want to work this out with Ozzy, but we also know Ozzy. So they, they thought, well, we should start cross purposes was supposed to come out in 93, but it was delayed because, and they were still waiting to see what happened with Oz. And when they finally realized it wasn't going to happen, they're like, all right, let's just go with this. So, yeah, it's just to me as uh, observing and looking back through history, it seems like they were always pining for either Ozzy or Dio to come, <laughs> to come back to the band. <laughs> and like, well, some of the, some of the, some of the lesser names in the in the lineup, like uh, I can't remember whether it was Ron Keel or Dave Donato that said it, because basically both of those guys didn't progress beyond the, the demo stage. They just, I mean, they may have farted around in the studio, but they never like went into okay, let's record this album level mm. and stuff. Mm. Um, and one of them, I cannot remember which one, in an interview said, um, basically it was mostly Ozzy and Geezer sitting around excuse me tony and geezer sitting around wishing they could get ozzy back i think that was ron keel because i was reading it recently and he said something like the only singer who was ever in black sabbath was ozzy osborne Uh, well that brings up another whole subject who is in the band (laughs) people my my timeline page um i i I go specifically to call it lineup changes Mm. not necessarily who is in the band because in the band, I mean, the, the 13 Project, I mean, the 13 Project, once Bill Ward exited, neither um, Brad Wilk or Tommy Clefitos were ever in Black Sabbath. Yeah. They were the hired drummer, but they were not in the band, which, which will also touch on another subject, which I know you want to talk about. It's yes. the, the two Sabbath idea, but we'll get to that. Um, but it's like, it, it all speaks to ownership and to Sabbath and yeah, it's like Clefidos was never in the band and he was never in any of the promo pictures. It was just the three of them, you know? Yeah. And, and of course they never, well, I can't say never, but almost never included Jeff Nichols, which I believe is part of what his stepson's beef is. Well, yeah. And I mean, you would have a bit of beef there as well. It's very strange, but it's similar to my, uh, Iron Maiden with Michael Kenny. Um, he's the kind of keyboardist at the side of the stage, but he's he's been in Iron Maiden for decades, but he hasn't. You know, he's like playing keyboard uh, off off out of camera, off 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 the stage. Well, Maiden Maiden doesn't have a ton of keyboard stuff. It's mostly around the Seventh Son album. Well, it's not just in modern but, in modern Iron Maiden albums. There is a good bit of synthy keyboardy stuff. Um, in the well, that's true. There's also there's also crap. What's that 18 minute song off the most recent album, Empire? The Empire of the Clouds. I think. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, do that live, damn it. I want to see that. You know? So do I. So do I. Um, anyway, yeah, sorry. But yeah, Jeff Nichols. So, yeah. So, who, who's actually in Black Sabbath is a good, it's a good question. So, would, would it be your opinion? He was never in Black Sabbath either. Was he just a hired uh, hand? Because there's some no, pictures of him. Because, because Nichols was there for, I mean, it's my opinion that Jeff Nichols is extremely important. Um, the in the band, it's like, it's a weird gray area about legality and who owns it and who collects money off royalties and blah, 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 blah. I mean, we could do a whole separate side thing about kiss and their business arrangements, but, (laughs) (laughs) but that's actually the, 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 if you want to talk about business and bands, kiss, it doesn't get any better than kiss to talk about it. So, yeah, well, like, I'm not as deep in down the rabbit hole with Kiss to to, <laughs> to have that conversation, maybe. But I, I am a fascinated uh, spectator with Kiss, definitely. Uh, oh, uh, let, let, let me tell you what I'm talking about. When when, when um, Peter Chris first let was I, whether he was fired or, or let go, I don't remember the particulars right now. But he was no longer part of Kiss. He still remained in the Kiss Corporation and collected money on everything Kiss did for about three or four albums after he stopped doing anything. Mm. So was, was he in Kiss? What does that mean? What does being in the band actually mean? Yeah. Yeah. The, the legalities are fascinating, all right. But the, surely there's a signed document somewhere, though, that documents who is and isn't part of the, as you said, Kiss Corporation, the Black Sabbath Corporation, um, whatever it's called. What? Well, yeah, Rat is like that. If you follow the history of Rat then mm. with, with Bobby Boxer and suing the other guys and control of this and who, who owned this, uh, Queensryche was like that. When Queensryche oh, was yeah. their big stuff, um, you got to see all the legal documents, which, mm. of course, they don't really want the fans to see, but they're legal documents. You can see them. Mm. And we're, we're, we're dancing around a whole bunch of subjects in my my. my Two Sabbath thing. Should we just get into that? Right <laughs> yeah. so one point on the Queensryche thing that was fascinating when there was two bands at the at the time called Queensryche releasing albums with the name Queensryche on it. But it's it's about as fucked up as it can get. Really, with that. Well, but, g- given given the name of the the Tate, I, I called the Jeff Tate version. I called it Tate Reich. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, the, the title is Fu. I mean, really, you know. Yeah frequency unknown yeah. and then the rat thing the rat thing has kind of just become an internet punchline nowadays like i i don't i'm sure you go to or you've seen blabbermouth.net but anytime they put a rat article up there the comments are just hilarious uh, you could just get endless oh, i i haven't published it like my black sabbath timeline but i have a rat timeline as well because right. it, it it's so it's so intrigued me that i actually followed the path it, it, it's my opinion that Bobby Blotzer was right there, but you know, well, who am I? I'm just a fan. But if you follow, my, my logic was if you, it, it's like that thing, if you have a bicycle and you replace every single part of the bicycle, is it still the same bicycle? Yeah, no, I, I suppose after a certain point. I, I see, I don't agree with that. Yes, it is. So it, it, it's, it's that bicycle logic which drove the rat thing. It's like, if you follow the ownership of Rat from its inception and all of the changes, mm. technically, in my opinion, I thought Bobby Blotzer was right, but... Yeah, fair enough. The bicycle thing, uh, 
yeah, I don't know. It, it reminds me of a joke. I don't know. Have you ever watched Only Fools and Horses? It's a British sitcom. Have you ever watched that? Um, I have, but it's been an exceptionally long time since I've seen it. <laughs> well, there's a character in it called Trigger, and he talks about how he's had the same mop for 17 years, and he's replaced the handle 17 times, and he's replaced the mop head 15 times. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. You just reminded me of that there. It's like, is it the same yeah. mop? Is it? I don't know. Uh, anyway, sure, that's it's another point. All right, so let's let's have a conversation about the the, ver- the various versions of Black Sabbath that are out there now. So pr- separately to speaking to you, I noticed recently, and I also said to other people who I spoke to for this podcast, that I noticed a weird thing happening with Black Sabbath very recently when they when they decided to reissue Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules uh, on vinyl for the first time in, I don't know, a long, long time anyway, um, that you would only see updates about the Mob Rules and Heaven and Hell reissues from Tony Iommi directly or from Geezer Butler directly, but never from the official Black Sabbath Twitter or never from the official Black Sabbath Facebook. Um, yet at the same time, or almost around the same time, they were also reissuing volume four. And you would see updates from Tony, Geezer, and the official Black Sabbath Facebook and Twitter pages. And I thought this was strange. And I thought to myself, I wondered, are they just distancing themselves from any version other than Ozzy? And then I, then I was thinking about Mick Wall's thing where, no, Sharon Osbourne, bought the rights and then i was thinking they ozzy and sharon must be getting money from the heaven and hell reissues but that doesn't appear to be the case you have a theory on this uh would you like to explain that (laughs) well first off the official facebook um twitter accounts i does black sabbath have an instagram account i can't remember i I don't don't usually use instagram but i'm assuming if they do um that stuff is run by sharon's office yeah um BlackSabbath.com, the website, Black Sabbath Twitter account, uh, and their Facebook page. And I have to assume Instagram. I'm saying this without checking, but I'm going to assume Instagram is involved in that. Um, those are run by Sharon's office. Sharon's office is not going to publicize Ian Gillen, Tony Martin, Glenn Hughes, Ray, Gill- uh, Ray Gillen. Well, you get the point. Um, <laughs> they're not going to publish all that. So no, they're not going to talk about Heaven and Hell and Mop Rules reissues. That comes from the label, comes from Tony, Geezer. Um, I didn't check to see if Vinny said anything. Vinny doesn't usually talk. I mean, he's on Twitter, but he doesn't talk that much. Um, So, so, and, and Ronnie Dio's stuff is run by his wife and out of, out of her office. So, so yeah, they're going to all talk about it. So that's why Sharon's, Excuse me, not Sharon, sorry. Uh, that's why the official Black Sabbath social didn't talk about the Dio re-releases because it's run by Sharon's office. Um, we'll swing back to a point with that in a minute. Um, it, it all comes down to ownership of Black Sabbath. And before I get into this, I'm going to issue the same caveat that I issued on the Deep Purple podcast as, under the assumption you're going to use this recording. Um, this, what I'm about to say, is personal theory. Despite working for these guys, well, some of them anyway, um, I have no knowledge of this. In fact, so much so, ownership of the name Black Sabbath is the one subject that has gotten them legitimately pissed off at me. They did not like me inquiring about it. And I was told, I can't tell you exactly what was said, but basically it was shut up and stop asking that (laughs) only in a much only in a much more different choice of words. Okay. Um, so 
what I'm about to say is my own personal theory based on what I've seen publicly. Hmm. And it's this. I think what's happened with Black Sabbath from a legal slash ownership standpoint is similar to what happened with Pink Floyd after Roger Waters quit in the mid 80s. Um, if you remember in the mid 80s, Roger Waters, I mean, Floyd at the end of the uh, after they made the final cut in 83, basically that the Rick Wright was fired and Mason, uh, not Mason, Waters and Gilmore were at each other's throats and whatever was left, the band was destroyed and Waters didn't want to do it anymore. He basically quit hmm. and under the assumption that the remaining guys would not be able to continue because they didn't have him. Um, so he sued them over ownership of, of the name Pink Floyd, but that was his tactical error. He quit. In fact, he issued a, a statement to them saying, I quit. It was mm. on paper. Mm. If you wanted to stop Pink Floyd, you should have stayed in the band and just never done anything again. But anyway, that, that's yeah. a sidetrack. Um, basically, the result of that lawsuit was that there are two legal Pink Floyds. If you look at anything released, from 1987 onward, which would be Division Bell, Momentary Lapse of Reason, the respective live albums, any new compilation, anything new, not, not newly recorded material, but some new live album, some new compilation. On the bottom, it says copyright Pink Floyd 1987 Limited. Yeah. But anything, anything else prior to that, which would be, you know, Final Cut, The Wall, the Animals, Dark Side, all the other stuff says copyright Pink Floyd. There are two legal Pink Floyds. One carries the stuff without waters and one carries the stuff with waters. So that is, a, now hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me get it all out. Um, you remember a lawsuit some years back, decade ago, I forget exactly when it happened now, maybe a little more, where Ozzy sued Tony yes. over, over ownership, claiming he was making money off of merchandise, okay? Oh, we need to go even further back than that. You mentioned this in 1985. Tony bought ownership of the name mm -hmm. from the remaining three guys because at that point in mid-85, Sabbath was effectively, it was not maybe, maybe not technically dead, but effectively dead. Um, so he bought ownership and he carried on by himself through all of that other stuff. Um, Tony owned Black Sabbath 100% from the mid-80s through till this lawsuit, it does not mean Sharon owned it for heaven and the heaven and hell period. It does not mean um, she got it in a $97,000 loan to help Tony out of legal jail. Tony owned Black Sabbath, which was the entire point of the lawsuit between Tony and her. If, 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 if Sharon had control, they would not have had to sue Ozzy or sue Tony over that. Um, now, yes, yes, yes. The, the result of the lawsuit was locked by court order. I know. I tried to look into it. I have some friends who are lawyers who can find that crap, and they were unable to find what happened. So it's sealed. And after that is when I tried looking into it myself, and that's when I got told, piss off by Sabbath. Stop asking me about that. Um, so basically... At that point, it's it's it was all happy, happy after the lawsuit was resolved. So the fact that it's happy, okay, now here, where is it? These things here, 
Black Sabbath gathered in. Uh, you can't see it due to the stupid. Yeah, I know. I know the DVD. Yeah, Black Sabbath live gathered in the masses live. The end. The thirteen album. That end EP. All of the stuff that came out surrounding thirteen. On um, you know that includes the lives, the extras. If you go to the bottom of the credits and look at the fine print, it says copyright BS Productions Limited. Mm. which does not exist on anything else Black Sabbath, including the legal the releases or anything else. It's only on 13 related stuff. What I think has happened is very similar to Pink Floyd. Again, I can't prove this. It is a personal theory. So I, there's still a very real chance that I'm wrong because it's a court-ordered lawsuit and they're not talking about it. So, excuse me, it's a court ordered locked lawsuit resolution that I don't have access to the information to, nor do you. Um, obviously, they know what's going on because they have a business they're running. And that's fine. I don't have to know. But my curiosity makes me go, why can't you? Know? But anyway, <laughs> um, but anyway well, I think there's two legal Black Sabbaths. There's one that controls Black Sabbath with Ozzy Osbourne in it. And another one for everything else. The other one that controls everything else is still owned 100% by Tony. If I am right about that theory, it would explain why the official social media does nothing with any of the other stuff. Because the Tony Martin re-releases are still coming too. Yeah. Um, despite, despite fans assuming they're not. They're still coming. When they come, you know official social media will not post about it. No. So then, right, if, if right, I, I find that very interesting. And it, there's a lot, um, it makes a lot of sense based on how people in the various camps in Black Sabbath act online and stuff. But uh, assuming there are two League of Black Sabbaths, what about the albums that are still out there, physical copies uh, with Ozzy Osbourne on them that don't have the BS Productions Limited thing on them? Is the split from the sale of those different, do you reckon, than? anything that's released in the future, like the Gathered in Their Masses DVD, or um, what, what do you think happened that, with those? That's hard to tell, because as far as I know, Geezer Butler isn't part of, was not part of that lawsuit. So, hang on. This phone was ringing. Um, I, I, that's a level of contract, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> that's contract level stuff mm. for individual projects. Um, I can't speak to that because I don't have access to that. Um, I do not know what deal they have. I mean, you're talking in the level of stuff that Bill Ward has mentioned with his unsignable contract stuff. So um, I don't know what's in the unsignable contract. I don't want to know. In fact, when I spent 20 years working for my video game company, I never wanted to know what was in the contracts between the people because it's plausible deniability. Um, I can't be held accountable if I don't know, and I don't know what's in the contract. So I don't know what's in there. Obviously they came to some sort of agreement that was acceptable to all of them because they moved forward. Mm. Um, what's in there? I don't know. Um, as I say, it's a working theory. It, it doesn't fit every scenario. The old reissues, um, uh, the volume four, the volume four super deluxe and the paranoid paranoid super deluxe came after 
the resolution of the lawsuit, and they don't mention the BS Productions either. That could have been something just for the 13 related or the 13 era materials. Hmm. Um, again, there's also the old albums are still bound by the original contracts in 1970, so they may not be able to be called that for some weird contractual blip I don't know about. So sure. yeah. Okay, but it does, yeah, it gets very interesting there when you go into that. Um, okay, look, you mentioned the Tony Martin albums, and I know you are, yeah, well, you, you, you are quite a strong advocate of Tony Martin and his time in Black Sabbath. Um, so uh, what do you feel like, he often gets lost in the shuffle, so people mention Ozzy, obviously, Dio, frequently, even Ian Gillen, uh, but Tony Martin's name kind of gets left out of the conversation a lot. What, what do you think his legacy is in Black Sabbath? Do you think he left his mark on the band? Let me tell you one thing first, it's kind of a joke. Um, you remember the 11-11-11 press conference when they announced what eventually became 13, and yes. they did that press conference with the award, and they all were wearing the black jackets and the, the red flowers yep. and whatnot? Yep. Okay, I was made a Aware of that about three days before the public knew about it because of my website. I was basically ordered, if you say anything, we will never talk to you again, right? Um, they, they made me aware because obviously my site is what it is. I needed to be prepared for that. Hmm. So I knew a couple of couple times and I was asked when I was told about it, they, they, they actually ask me my opinion as a fan sometimes to say, what do you think about blah, yeah. blah, 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 right? Um, so once they told me it was happening, they said, well, what do you think of that? And I said, I'd rather have a new album with Tony Martin. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And what did they say? <laughs> um, they're like, yeah, that's probably not happening. Um, but yeah, so I, I went down that path and you said, what do I think about Tony Martin? There you go. There's another hot take for you. Right. I would so. have rather have had. I would have rather had a new album with Tony Martin than the thirteen album. Okay. So he's done a lot. Like there was the Eternal Idol. Then he made way for um, Dio. Uh, no, sorry. Then they did Tear. Sorry. Then and Headless Cross. Sorry. So it's Eternal Idol. Headless Cross, Tear, he makes way for Dio, then he comes back and does Cross Purposes and Forbidden. So he's done five albums, more than anyone else except Ozzy. So you're, you're of the opinion that he, his contribution is quite strong uh, to into Black Sabbath, obviously, if you'd rather hear an album with yeah. him on it than Ozzy. Yeah. I mean, now, as I also tell people, when I say things like that, they're like, well, you think Ozzy sucks? No, I don't. He's my preference. I said, we would not have Dio Ray Gillen, Tony Martin, without Mach 1. All eras owe a debt to Mach 1. So, but if you give me a preference, if you give me a choice, I tend to root for underrated and unknown things. It's mm. like I tell people, it's like, like Pat Benatar. It's like everybody knows Pat Benatar mostly for her 80s stuff, but I far prefer her much later material. It's so better. But nobody knows about it because they don't dig into it. And that's like this here. It's like, I, I'm not saying Tony Martin stuff is better than Mach 1. I just like the feel. It, okay. It's got a different feel to me. And that's not something I can quantify with an explanation. It's just something that my brain goes, ah, you know. <laughs> sure. And, uh, then in the 90s, did you see the band with Tony Martin? Did you go and see any shows? I saw them with Tony Martin one, 
let's see. The okay, the Eternal Idol tour, such that it was, was only in like around Italy. It was very tiny. It was very. It didn't even get to England. It, it had a lot of problems. And in fact, was the reason that Tony Martin, fi- or excuse me, Tony Iommi, finally stopped dealing with um, the old record contracts and signed with IRS. But um, Eternal Idol didn't come. Headless Cross, however, oh, uh, 32 years later, it still bugs me. Headless Cross, the, the United States Headless Cross tour happened, but it had such poor ticket sales. It was after a time, the entire tour was canceled. They didn't just cancel one thing. They canceled all of it. Um, however, the show in Philadelphia did happen. I was living in Philadelphia then, but at that time, the day that Black Sabbath on the Headless Cross Tour played Philly, I had three other social engagements all at the same time. And there was a, two I could ditch. The third one, I had ditched like three times previous in the three previous years. I wanted to ditch it all and go see Black Sabbath, but <laughs> I was made aware that it would be bad if I did that. So rather reluctantly, I skipped the Black Sabbath show and went to the other thing. Um, and then like less, less than a week later, Sabbath canceled the entire U.S. tour. So to this day, that one still bugs me. The tier tour never came to the States. Um, so I didn't see that. Having said that, I did see the Cross Purposes tour twice, once in Philadelphia, once in Dallas. And I saw the Forbidden tour in Philadelphia. That too was a story because, and it was, as you know, IRS turned out to not be the best thing for Black Sabbath. It just didn't work in the end. They got like no promotion. In fact, if you've read any of my stories, the day that Forbidden went on sale, um, day one, the record store that I bought stuff from had ordered a single copy to sell and, and I bought it. Um, but the tour was not supported very well. It, it was, it, it had problems. But when I saw them, they were at that time, I saw them, I saw the Dehumanizer tour at a, at a 5,000 seat venue there. And the uh, Headless Cross tour played in that same venue, which even though I didn't see it, um, the Cross Purposes tour was there as well. And the Forbidden tour was going there too, 5,000 seater, which is what Sabbath was, was doing at that point. However, they were not selling the 5,000 seater. So they moved the venue to a different place. Um, But then they couldn't sell that place. They moved the show a second time to a third venue. And the third venue um, was one of those places that local clubs play. And it held at most 1,000 people and they didn't even sell that out. Jesus Wow, that's it's crazy, isn't it? If you've ever read my, I wrote a 25th anniversary of Forbidden Story, which talks about all kinds of stuff. I, I actually, this venue I'm speaking of is in the article. I, it's it's a Google Street View where they actually show you the inside of the venue, so you can go on my story and look at the inside of this venue and see how tiny it is jesus go back and have a look now <laughs> it's insane it's insane uh okay so, um, so yes i saw saw them with tony martin three times and the cross purposes tour was was amazing because it had the best set list mm. 
of any saboteur I've ever seen because Tony Martin doesn't have a problem singing the other singer's material. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Both, both from him being able to sing it or from him having an ego about it. Um, so that was an awesome set list. In fact, at the beginning of the tour, they actually had the stones and tried to drop Iron Man. They had to bring it back, but they, they actually tried to play a Black Sabbath show without Iron Man. Unbelievable, yeah. Um, so, it, it, yeah, the, the point you brought up there, it was interesting to me that um, when Dio was in the band in 92, they still stuck to those same first three albums um, songs. So you got songs from Paranoid, Master Reality, um, and Black Sabbath. But Dio never seemed to do any of the later Aussie stuff. Do you, is there any particular reason, you know, for that? Like, you never heard him singing Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath or anything like that. No, Tony Martin did, but um, yeah, that was that was played on the Cross Purposes tour. But no, you know, now that you mention that, I'm not sure if I ever. I mean, I obviously would have noticed that, but I don't think I've ever given any thought to it. I think it was more. I think it was more. They probably would have preferred to not play any of them if they could get away with that. But it it, it was being billed as Black Sabbath, so to some extent, you have to play Iron Man, Paranoid, War Pigs. Yeah. Um. So they're not going to play Dirty Women and they're not going to play, you know, they're not going to play <laughs> Air Dance, you know. <laughs> so I, I, I asked Geezer that once. I, I asked if they ever considered playing Air Dance live. And he goes, no, not really. And I said, I said, I would actually pay money to see you try and play Air Dance live. And he said, bloody hell, we'd have to learn how to play that i don't know if it was ever constructed with a consideration of how to play it live okay so um i suppose i'm getting ready to wrap it up here but uh did you do you have a favorite performance by black sabbath not i'm not asking you who's better ozzy dio or whatever but a favorite show that you have attended as a fan well let's see i've seen them on the born again seventh star dehumanizer cross purposes forbidden ozfest 99 Ozfest. Oh yeah, I skipped Ozfest 01 because I I thought at the time they had become a Iron Man War Pigs paranoid band, and then the bastards go and play a brand new song live, and I was like, oh god. <laughs> what was that? Oh, yeah. was crazy dreams or something or scary, scary dreams. Yeah, scary dreams, that, yeah. That, swinging back to that meeting with Tony, that 2001 recording attempt with Oz is also on my Holy Grail list of stuff. But yeah, so what do I, what's my favorite show? Um, I'm going to say uh, it's, it's a, I don't know if I can pick one, but I'll give you a few that I enjoyed. Um, obviously the first one with, with Born Again with Ian Gillen. I love that because of the, at that time, that was a new spectacle to me. They were still at that point playing 17, 20,000 seat arenas. Wow. It wasn't just. It was. It wasn't still the the five thousand seat or even smaller thing. Mm-hmm. So that it was still the giant spectacle, and they didn't have the the, the Stonehenge set with them. It was the mocked down version. But I just loved that because it was cool. Now Ian Gillan's bongos were a weird thing to have in Black Sabbath, but mm-hmm. um, he did. He played his bongos on stage, which was really weird. But um, I enjoyed that. Um, I also probably enjoyed Ozfest 05, not so much from the show itself, but that's the show I got to watch the entire gig from the side of the stage behind Adam Wakeman's keyboard. 
Right. So I saw the whole thing. And once the show was over, we were cut loose and it's like, all right, you got to go. But where we were, I, I, I often wish somebody got a picture of this, but they didn't. Um, I was there with a friend of mine. And we, we, as I said, we watched the whole show from behind Adam Wakeman's keyboard. When it was over, the band was out on stage taking their bow, you know, to say goodnight. And the only place for us to leave was through the set door in the back of the stage. So basically, we had to not like walk out the front, we had to walk out the back. So while we were moved from our place to the back, we had to walk across the stage while Black Sabbath is on the stage. So just for a minute, like maybe 10 seconds, I went and, you know, did the horns to the crowd from the stage while Black Sabbath was <laughs> on the stage. Now, nobody's looking at me. I know that. But, but, but it's still a personal moment. I enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. Mm. The other one would have probably been... That was also Mach 1, too. I mean, that was Ozzy, Tony, Geezer, Bill. So um, I, I also enjoy other stuff, but it's not so much for the show, like meeting Dio. That was fun, but that was more for meeting Dio than the show. Mm. So if you, if you ask me to pick two of them or, or one or two, I'd go with the first one with Ian Gillen because it was the first. Um, and Ozfest 05, when I watched from the side of the stage. Now, I also watched from the side of the stage for the Heaven and Hell 07 tour. That mm. was cool, too. I got a great picture of them performing with Dio on stage. And if you, did you ever read the story about Dio, me, and the Cucumber from that show? Don't know if I did. There was... I went there... And Geezer is big on practical jokes. So I'm, I'm standing there backstage, just hanging around, not doing anything. And Geezer's PA, which is also his nephew, um, uh, I forgot his name. Shit. I should know. I want to say Jeff Nichols, but I know that's not right. Um, Major House is his guitarist in the GZR band. Um, he comes over to me with this plate of stuff, and the plate has a box of candies, a bottle of bottle of booze it's got a half used thing of like icy hot um a tomato and a cucumber all right and, and pedro hands me this plate and i'm looking at the plate and i'm going i actually said out loud to nobody in particular what am i supposed to do with this shit right and then i spot way on the other side of the venue all the way in the back i see geezer over there laughing his ass off pointing at me right because he he did it just to get me to do that right so we, we get to the gig and i'm on the side of the stage I'm on geezer's side um again only this time i'm standing in front of the keyboards not in back of it um and i had ditched most of the plate i kept the candy to give to my wife later um but i ditched the rest of the stuff except for the cucumber i put the cucumber in my pocket because i thought of a joke at the time because Geezer could see me where he was playing, I got the cucumber out while he's playing and showed it to him like I'm going to throw it on stage. Like I was going to throw the cucumber on stage while he was playing. And I made Geezer laugh in the middle of him playing, looking at the cucumber. <laughs> um, and But the thing is, he's such a pro that he's standing there laughing at me and he doesn't miss a beat in what he's doing musically. 
which I thought was really cool. Now I would would not have I would not have actually thrown the cucumber on stage because I figured somebody would get really pissed off at me if I started throwing things on stage. But <laughs> but I got him to laugh. I got him to laugh, which was a good personal moment for me. Right. I, I enjoyed that. And it's, so obviously, you like you you know the band personally. Or you met them, you know them, and whatever. But at what point did it go from you having a website to actually knowing members of Black Sabbath and getting sent? albums and things in the post and getting heads up about the fact they're going to reform in 2011 that type of thing the um well it started with cozy powell the first one was in 1997 um i'm sitting at my desk at work and i get a phone call and it's bloody cozy powell at my job at work he wanted me to do a website for him he was the first one and uh, first off i wondered i didn't believe it at first (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't believe it at first, and, um, and we ended up doing it, and Cozy Powell, apparently, someone must have talked me up to Cozy, or he saw what I was doing, which even in 1997 wasn't anything compared to now. Yeah. I had progressed a little in two years, but not a lot, um, it, and then Bill Ward got in touch, and I did one for Bill Ward, um, and over the years, I, I also hooked on with with um geezer butler and i helped with some stuff with tony um but it all became piled on because basically i did the one with cozy got a reputation from that then cozy died which sucked Mm. but um um then bill ward and bill ward would talk me up and and at least i assume that's what happened and basically then it, it just came on with tony or geezer and then tony and I've known, I've had contact with a lot of the people over time. There was talk that I was going to do something with Don Airy at one point, but that never happened. So I've, I've had contact with a lot of them, but it just became one of those, I guess, when the first couple being um, Cozy and Bill were happy with what I was doing, it became, oh yeah, I'm doing this with, with Joe. And, you know, it just over time, it, it was certainly not immediate. Um, it's not like, okay, I did it with Cozy in 97, and then like in 99, I'm, you know, talking to Geezer Butler about Doctor Who, you know, it's, it's you know, it's not like that. But um, there's, a, there's another funny one about that. The Geezer sent me an email. We were talk- he sends me emails talking about Doctor Who and, and football a lot. And he sent me this thing, and he mentioned he had Doctor Who socks, right? Right. With, with Daleks on them. And I sent him an email back and I was like, dude, you do not have freaking Doctor Who socks. And then like a matter of 30 minutes later on Twitter, there's a picture from Geezer holding a pair of Doctor Who socks saying, because Joe doesn't think I have these socks. So, <laughs> and that, that kind of connection to me as a fan, the fan that bought Mob Rules in 1981 mm. is still weird. Yeah. But, but it has gone deeper than that because Geezer and his wife, Gloria, routinely send Christmas presents and stuff for my children at Christmas time. Wow. Um, when, when I would go see my, my son, I think I mentioned it before, my son has autism and he, he's got a mm. major obsession about Angry Birds. He loves Angry Birds. Um, okay. So every, every time I go to see Black Sabbath, I'd go backstage and say hi to Geezer at some point, and there would be a present for my son. Um, wow. 
the 13 tour when it came to fill or no, not the 13 tour, the, the end tour when it, cause the 13 tour didn't actually come to Dallas, but the, the, the end tour did. Um, so I go to see him backstage at the end tour and I go in his back room where, you know, his, you know, the, the, the various things in your dressing room are, there was an angry birds toy on there. And I took a picture of it because it's so bizarre seeing, an Angry Birds toy in the middle of the Black Sabbath basis dressing room, um, but but it was there, it was there for my son, right. and the the fact that he took the time and the effort to bring something to give to my son was still mind blowing to me personally, and um, I probably was the only person at the Black Sabbath show sitting in their seat holding Angry Birds toys, you know. <laughs> Most likely, <laughs> that seems uh, seems like a really nice guy. Uh, just nice. yeah, yeah, he, he yeah he he likes messing with me too. Because uh, when when the when the Devil You Know album came out, and I'm you know digesting the artwork, and it has that twenty five forty one thing mm. on the cover with Henry, and I I asked him, I said, what's the twenty five forty one? And he goes, you of all people should know that. And I'm yeah. like, okay, okay, why? And he goes, just go figure it out. And I eventually figured it out. It's a Bible passage. Right. It's Matthew 25, 41, which I'm going to butcher it if I try and recite it, but it's got something to do with casting the people into the, the sea of fire that's been prepared for the devil and his angels. Um, uh, but yeah, it's like he, he put that on there. And then he sent me, he goes, he um, has, I mean, to show you, some of his lyrics are Doctor Who based. Mm. Um, on the 13 album, there's a line on the first song where it says, Regeneration of your cybersonic soul. Yes. That, that's a direct reference to Doctor Who. Oh, is it? I don't Re watch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he, he, he watched Doctor Who since it started in 1963. Right. So he, he's been there since the beginning and he knows I like it. So he busts on me. I mean, one of his solo songs is called Among the Cybermen. It's a direct Doctor Who song. So, right. okay. <laughs> I didn't know he was such a, such a fan. I saw he thanked you, actually, in the liner notes of Heaven and Hell. Uh, I saw your name in there. The first one to actually do that was Bill Ward. He did right. that. I'm, I'm in the thank you notes for the reunion album. Oh, okay. And that, that's Bill Ward doing that. That was the first one. Since then... It, now, I'm not going to lie and say it isn't cool because it is. Um, almost everything that's come out since then has had my name in it somewhere in the thank yous. Mm. Um, I'm not going to lie and say that isn't cool. It is cool. But it's happened a bunch in the last 25 years, so it's not as cool. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're jaded to it now. I wouldn't say that because I do thank them that they thank me. Yeah. So. But it's not like, oh my God, can you believe that happened? You know, it's yeah, not like that. That's what. Good. Okay. Um, very quickly. So you mentioned there, uh, Rob Halford. He stood in for Dio um, that time when Dio well, didn't want to play second banana to Ozzy. And then in 2004, I think, or some time around then, he stood in again for Ozzy. Um, it, was, it was 2004 in Camden, New Jersey yes. on the Ozfest 04 tour. But uh, very interestingly, I read comments recently from somebody online. It might have been Geezer. You, I'm sure you'll correct me now. But uh, where they said they, or it was a Vinnie Apice actually, where they said they might, uh, they wanted to do another Heaven and Hell album, possibly with Rob Halford, but it probably won't happen now. Do you have any other information about that? I believe that's more a reference to back then versus now. 
Yeah. I, I, if I remember right, I did read the thing you're talking about. My interpretation of that is they were talking about something happening back when Dio died, not now. Yes. So it's not like a, it's not like a 2020 thing. It's a, this is something we thought we might do after Ronnie died, but then they just ended up not doing it. Okay, fair enough. And do, do, what do you know how advanced that was? Just a conversation or a thought? Or? No, so that interview was the first time I had heard that. So that was that, that was new to me as it was new to you. Right. Okay. I I think that's a huge missed opportunity. I think that would have been fantastic. But anyway, um okay, yeah, I think uh, that's probably going to do it. Uh, I've I've touched on everything here I have written down. So yeah. Uh, by the way, while I announce you on when I eventually do the podcast, it's Sigler, is it? Not Siegler. It's Sigler. Sigler. Right. Okay. Uh, pronounce it pronounce it as if the first e is not in there. Right, because I heard the Deep Purple podcast guys saying Sigler, but I just wanted to confirm for definite uh, that it is. All right, yeah, um, yeah. that's that's great. That's yeah, yeah, ba- yeah, basically ignore the first E, and then it'll probably come out right. But I will, I will. But, but I've, I've, been, I've had some really weird variants, so I, oh. it doesn't bother me unless it's like something like you pronounce it with a Z or something like that, you know? Oh, I know. Sure. Well, I mean, my, my name gets butchered all the time as well. So, um, well, when you said it to me in chat the other day, I was like, yeah, I'm not touching that. So <laughs> a lot of people say Fiergal, which is fair enough, but it, it's Fergal, but uh, it's an Irish name. Anyways. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. I would not have gotten the correct one at all. So I, I'm not quite sure what I would have said, but it certainly would not have been correct. No worries. <laughs> um, all right. Look, I, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much for this. Um, it'll be in. A couple of I'm doing a, a series on Black Sabbath. I posted my first episode there the other day. There's lots of different talking heads in it, uh, and you'll be one of them. So you it'll be included in a few different episodes. But I'll let you know when it goes up if you have any inclination to listen. Um, but yeah, thanks again. Are, are you going to spread me over more than one, or yes? How's that going to work? Okay. So what I Did intend you- to do is it's like an audio documentary. So I'll have people talking about various like kind of going to go chronologically um so there'll be various people talking about the early days of black sabbath the dio era later on ian gillen whatever and i'm going to put in comments as they're relevant all along so that's the way i'm going to do it uh that's the plan i did think of something else though okay the, um the seventh star tour um i did see that and okay. i was i was actually wrong in something i said earlier seventh Star Tour was the last time they played the 17,000 seat arenas because I, I saw Seventh Star in Philadelphia and it was they had uh, Anthrax and Wasp opening for them. Nice. Uh, and at the time, I thought I saw Glenn Hughes. Nice. I didn't find I didn't find out until much later that I really saw Ray Gillen because I thought th- this being the mid 80s, this was also the big era of tour books you they're, they're not so much a thing anymore but they were back then and there was no tour book so i thought that was odd tour book um, is in like a, a a pamphlet program program yeah uh, a program okay. yeah um uh it might be better to call it a tour program but anyway um there was no tour program which i thought was odd at the time in the mid 80s it certainly was odd to not have one hmm. um Later, I found out that obviously because they changed the singer, they're not going to sell the one with the old singer. So they just didn't sell it. Um, But yeah, I did not know that I saw Ray Gillen. And I wish I would have known that when I saw it because I I enjoyed the show. I thought he was good. Um, 
and I loved his version of the Eternal Idol. And uh, it's it's that's a weird album because I like I, I I think the Eternal Idol album is one of the most solid albums from front to back that Sabbath has ever done. But it's it's out there publicly with Tony Martin singing Ray Gillen's vocal lines. Yeah, I mean Ray Gillen still technically appears on the final version of the album not not that demo that was released with him but mm. the version with tony martin ray gillen is there on the album in one little tiny bit the That's song the song the song nightmare right um there's laughing about three quarters of the way through the song that's Ray Gillen and not Tony Martin doing that okay very interesting nugget there and, and then in in 86, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, are Black Sabbath, would they have sold out the 17,000 seater arena or what was the attendance? They, they, they did not. Okay. They did not sell that out. I'm mm -hmm. sure that had a lot to do with why the next tour was not like that. But um, yeah, it did not sell out at all. That I It was not like it was like only sold at 20% or anything like that, but it certainly wasn't 100. Right. Okay. My, seat, my seat for that venue was at the back of the venue. So it was not like I was able to buy a seat way down front and without a problem. I still had to buy seats in the back of the venue, but um, it was not 100% sold out. I enjoyed that show because at that time, it was only the second Sabbath show I'd ever seen. Hmm. Um, it, it's a bit odd in the overall history of the, the band, for sure. But, but yeah, yeah I, I saw that and it, it was like another singer. <laughs> 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 very good uh, yeah good stuff okay um interesting very interesting stuff there i'm looking forward to um editing that into some episodes but i really appreciate um, your time do you um i took a grab of us chatting i'll send it to you privately mm. um i was going to say myself that hey i just recorded with blah 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 for a future podcast do you care if i say that no not at all go ahead okay yeah, i guess uh, here, let, let, let me, since you're online, let's do this before we disconnect. Hang on. Let me send you the picture privately so you can see what the heck I took. This is what I was seeing on my end. So let me have a look. If, if you're good with that picture, I'll just use it. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah, it's <laughs> fine. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. I was right. going to say, I was going to say, if you didn't like the picture, I could, we could like get one better. That's just why I wanted to do it before we got offline. Uh, no, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, that's, that's grand. That's what I look like. So I'm all right with that. <laughs> all right. Look, thanks very much. Look, I'll, I'll keep in touch. I'll, I'll say hello to you on Twitter anyway. And uh, thanks again. I'll let you know when the episodes are going to be up. All right. Sounds Cheers. Good. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Talk bye to bye. you. See you. Bye-bye. All right, so that was my interview with Joe Sigler back on the 16th of March of 2021. Again, I'd like to thank Joe for his participation in my Black Sabbath arc. His comments and all the research he's done over the years lent legitimacy to what I was trying to do with this podcast series. So I really appreciate him coming on as a guest and letting me inside of all of his research and all of his interactions with the band members in Black Sabbath. I particularly enjoyed some of those 
personal encounters he had with the likes of Geezer Butler and things like that. So, yeah, thanks again, Joe. So that's going to do it for this episode of Feckin' Metal. Next week, as previously mentioned, I'll be putting up the entire interview I conducted with Mick Wall, which was in November, if my memory serves me correctly. Again, that was a full interview about Black Sabbath, which I used in the final two episodes of my Sabbath arc. Um, So I'm going to leave it there. I'm aware that when you're hearing this, it's Christmas Eve, so happy feckin' Christmas, or whatever you celebrate around this time of year, or don't celebrate. I hope you enjoy at least possibly having a few days off work. I know I will. So I will see you next time.